0: The initial idea for the podcast on systemic racism came to me after observing everything that that happened at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, the march in Ottawa, where the prime minister took a knee, everything that happened around the world with George Floyd. I think it removed a lot of the blinders that I personally had as a person of color. I thought it would be a nice way to say this actually exists. And it's nice that we should be aware of it and we should, as a group and as individuals, make a decision to make things better.
1: Welcome to Aceres, a podcast from Statistics Canada, where we meet the people behind the data and explore the stories behind the numbers. I'm your host, Tegan. Today's topic was suggested by my colleague, Sarah.
0: So my name is Sarah Mitsu galazzi and I'm a junior communications officer for STASCAN. Do you notice
1: any difference now, a year and a half or so, past summer 2020?
0: So past summer 2020, I do see that there is a difference, at least in the way we talk about racism in society. I think it's no longer a taboo where people would get offended if we talk about racism. I think a lot more people are willing to be allies. They are um, wanting to join the conversation. They're willing to do their best to make changes at a personal level. I think.
1: What do you hope listeners would get out of or learn from an episode about systemic racism and data?
0: Data do tell a story. And with data, we can do a lot my my takeaway is that we as the people take this data and try to change our approach and try to change our views of people of color or at least visible minorities because it is great to have all this data and it is great to have awareness let's take a step further let's see how this impacts communities, which means millions of people at the end of the day, and how we can do better, how we can be more inclusive. I think the the past 18 months, almost two years, we have had awareness, we have had information, and we will continue to have information. Let's take this information and turn it into action. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Sarah, for the great suggestion. Systemic racism. Let's talk about it. Could you please
2: introduce yourself? Uh, My name is Wilson Hujali, and I'm an analyst uh, with the Center for Social Data Insights and Innovation at Statistics Canada. And what do you do at StatCan? I do research, uh, you know, that's related to racialized groups, uh, more specifically, more like ethnocultural cultural immigration um, type of research. So it's different population groups, but more or less looking at issues that have to do uh, with racialization, inclusion and exclusion um, and the different experiences that diverse groups that have, um, especially those with intersecting identities.
1: Could you help us understand what systemic racism
2: is? Okay, so the Ontario Human Rights Commission uh, defines systemic discrimination as patterns of behavior, policies, or practices that are part of the structures of an organization and which create or perpetuate disadvantage for racialized persons. Systemic racism or institutional racism, I think are like behaviors or attitudes that are embedded within institutions that are a barrier to different racialized groups. Right. So, it can manifest itself in different ways. Um, And I think what it boils down to is there is a system in place and it was designed for a particular group of people. We can take examples. For example, if you look at, um, you know, a refugee um, to Canadian society who's from a non-European country right so when a person comes to Canadian society they kind of have to learn the institutions and how to navigate them and there could be barriers such as uh, you know language barriers not knowing the culture of a particular place or institution Um, simple things like not knowing how to fill out a form also the system not serving that person's needs so not being able to access uh, particular services because of a a particular barrier can be environmental barrier it can be uh, you know the the physical actual um access to to a place so it can be so many different things but always thinking about it in terms of needs not being met and those barriers are i think um, some ways to kind of understand systemic um, exclusions
1: do you have a specific example that you'd like to talk about
2: so if we use uh, the example of black youth and navigating different systems um, that are interconnected, right? So if you look at the education system, do they have the supports outside and can the system support them or like do they see themselves in the curriculum you know um, are they more surveilled <laughs> you know in 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 schools are their behaviors like are they expected? to act and dress a certain way that this norm uh, and that they don't fit this norm, right? Are they streamed? Are there exclusionary practices that happen in the school? Uh, that's, that's one way, right? To look at it. And then if you look outside um, of that, if they walk down the street, are Black youth more likely to, to again, to be surveilled and to be checked? Um, and they're not allowed to kind of move freely in society that they have a police officer coming up to them to ask them questions or carding them instance instance? Are they more likely to be stopped while driving a car? <laughs> so that's another way of you know being not being able to kind of move freely in public spaces. And that also contributes to them having more contact with the justice system. If they're over policed, for instance, if you go to hospitals and stuff, are, the, are their concerns going to be taken seriously? Are they going to be provided the, the care that they need um, to a standard that is acceptable? <laughs> so as you can see, like in every domain in, in, in social life, whether that's, you know, the, the law or health or the schooling education system, um, it's these behaviors that you will see that are exclusionary towards different uh, population groups, which are barriers. And which make it very difficult for people to move freely and to reach their full potential even. If you would like to learn more about this and the complexities around uh, collecting data on racialized groups and their experiences, Jeff Latimer would be a great person to speak to.
3: I'm Jeff Latimer, Director General Accountable for Health, Justice, Diversity and Populations at Statistics Canada.
1: There's this idea that numbers don't lie why do people believe that all data are neutral and objective and what are some of the problems that come with this belief
3: yeah i i'm not convinced that all data are equal so let me start by saying that's in my opinion a myth i'll I'll, I'll try and explain it in a relatively simple way at statistics canada let's just start with with our data i think that's a great way to start so we collect two different types of data basically we collect data from administrative systems like uh, hospital admissions or police reported crime those data are great they're all there 100 percent of every single crime that's reported to police is there but it's not a measure of all crime in canada it's a measure of police reported crime because not all crime is reported to police that's an example of how there's bias if you tried to use our police reported crime as a measure of all crime you would you would be mistaken. In surveys, which is the other way we collect information, we talk to Canadians, we ask them questions, we need to make sure that the group of Canadians we are asking is generally representative of the population as a whole. And it's quite difficult to ensure your surveys are representative of the entire population. And so data that doesn't necessarily ensure you have the entire database in mind or the entire universe, or that doesn't doesn't necessarily ensure you have a representative sample of the population, will not necessarily be as accurate as if you do. It doesn't mean they are not accurate, but the likelihood of them being biased or inaccurate is quite high. So there's many ways of of collecting information. You can start with asking a group of, of Let's just say on the street, you can walk down the street and ask a group of, of Canadians, what do you think about X, Y, or Z? You may have a representative sample, but highly unlikely, particularly if you're standing outside of, I don't know, um, the Green Party Convention and you're asking about environment. Now the people that are walking by you are going to be much more likely to give you an answer in relation to the Green Party's positions on something. So bias is so critical and not all data is equal and we try the best data is those that are collected with the with all the protections in place to reduce the bias as much as possible so that's very different than data collected without with bias
1: what steps does statistics canada take to avoid bias
3: i'll only talk about our surveys i think that's really the most important aspect we collect information from canadians in all areas of Statistics Canada, from labor to health to justice, et cetera. And the first thing we do is, is, is we, we ensure that the sampling, so in other words, how we pick the people to respond to us is as close as possible to the population, that it represents those that we want to speak to. But at the same time, if not everybody will respond back to us, And so there's going to be still some potential bias, even though we've selected the right people, not all of them will respond. So we have to adjust our responses to ensure that the people we've spoken to generally speak on behalf of all Canadians. And so we have, um, you know, we have statistical methods of what we call weighting the data. So some responses will be given more value than other responses so that when we calculate something, it's generally as accurate as possible. So those are two ways that we try and avoid bias.
1: So what information does StatCan gather on race and ethnicity on the census?
3: Yeah, so the first thing to clarify is that the, the census goes out to every household in Canada, but we only ask uh, race and ethnicity questions uh, one out of every four households. Um, we do that, though, in, in order to be able to provide accurate um, estimates of the diversity of, of the population. So for those households where we do ask race and ethnicity, we ask them to self-identify what group they believe they were that they, they belong to. And we offer them a series of 10 different choices. Uh, we don't necessarily use the term race because uh, for a lot of people, race is a social construct. And so we ask individuals in this country to self-identify the term that best describes them. But well, we also have subsequent questions beyond the simple uh, population groups to look at ethnicity and, and where they're born and a whole and immigration status and a number of other variables that we can combine to get a better picture of, of the country as a whole. And you know, having these race and ethnicity data on the census is so critical. If you think about, um, you know, we want our institutions, we want society, we want the the policies and programs to reflect or mirror the population. And without understanding, you know, the, the composition or diversity of the population, we really would struggle with looking at those issues. And so even though it's only on one out of every four.
1: That is one in four households.
3: Uh, we're able to calculate the popu- we're able to estimate the population of individuals, say, uh, uh, Black Canadians or uh, South Asian Canadians by using the census data.
1: Why is it so important to have high quality data in the context of systemic racism?
3: Well, that's a great question. So, yeah, it really is, because I think there's lots of data out there. As you know, their data—not all data is created equal—and I think it's critical that we understand, you know, uh, we understand the different experiences and the uh, and the different outcomes of all Canadians and all, all individuals in Canada. And so, if you think about it, racism as a construct is very hard to measure, but we can measure experiences and outcomes. So, let me give you an example. Just uh, I'll pick something uh, quite simple. Um, If we wanted to look at individuals who are overqualified in Canada, it's a very simple idea. Generally, we'll say if an individual uh, has a university degree but is in a job that only requires high school, we would consider them to be overqualified. When we look at that variable, we see about 15-14% of Canadians would be considered overqualified. But when we delve deeper and we start to disaggregate that statistic and we look at, let's say, immigrants in Canada, that number goes from 14 all the way to 22 percent. And if we look within the immigrant category and look at racialized immigrants, that jumps up to 26 percent. And you can start to see, okay, maybe there's I'm not suggesting there are, but maybe there's some systemic racist issues and you have to be your data has to be really critical for you to be able to answer that question. We could even go further with with, uh, racialized immigrants and just look at one of those 10 categories of of populations and we'll see 69% of Filipino immigrants in Canada are overqualified. Now, if that data is not reliable and it is not constructed very well without bias, then those numbers will not be meaningful. And so it's really critical that the data we collect can reflect the outcomes and experiences of all Canadians.
1: How can data be misused to perpetuate harmful stereotypes?
3: This, this is such an important topic. For me, uh, I'm responsible for the disaggregated data action plan at Statistics Canada with my colleague Tom DeFore. And everyone asks, what's the biggest risk in disaggregating data? And I would argue one of the biggest risks is further stigmatizing individuals when the data is really there to, to identify inequalities and inequities in society. And so I'll give you a really good example. Um, Right now we're considering uh, with the chiefs of police across the entire country to add to our our police reported crime statistics, indigenous identity and racialized identity. Right now in Canada, we cannot tell you the proportion of indigenous or racialized groups that come in contact with the police. Um, Now, these data, once we are successful in collecting these data, We're going to, for the first time, be able to talk about an X proportion of black Canadians or South Asian Canadians have come in contact with the police. And that's not necessarily suggesting that they're more likely to commit criminal behavior or that they're more criminogenic, it just means that they have come into contact with the police. And there's very many sociological you know, explanations for why that may or may not be true, including unemployment rates and education and over-policing in communities and income and all sorts of reasons. So those data, while they could be misused, they theoretically should be used to identify some systemic issues that may be occurring in society. So I think it's, it, it's a I would like to call it a double-edged sword. I do believe that it is worth the risk to to collect and to analyze these data so we can identify inequities. We need to do it, though, in a very careful and well-thought-out manner.
1: You said disaggregated data. What is disaggregated data?
3: So disaggregated data is simply a way of analyzing the data that goes deeper. So normally, for example, we could give you... Uh, For example, I could tell you uh, the unemployment rate of Canadians, and then I could tell you the unemployment rate of men and women. I've started to disaggregate, break it apart into two categories. But that's generally what we call a binary disaggregation. It's not that helpful. It's helpful to understand male and females. But if I were to give you non-visible minority and visible minority, that doesn't really tell you very much because visible minorities are not a homogeneous group. They are very, very, they're varied. And so to disaggregate that further, I need to break down the non-visible minority group into 10 different population groups, such as Black, South Asian, Arab, et cetera, and then further disaggregate that by age and by sex or gender. You start to tease apart all the data, and that's where you find the serious issues that policymakers and programmers and program decision makers can address because you've now found the real issues that are hidden under the, 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 the larger aggregated statistics.
1: StatCan has to make decisions as an organization about which data to collect. What are some of the potential unintended consequences of collecting or not collecting different data?
3: I'd like to go to an example again in uh, police-reported crime in Canada. So right now, uh, we do not have information. So we, have, we do not collect information on the use of force in police. Services now. Provincial governments or police services may, but at a national level, Statistics Canada does not yet collect information on the use of force, and we also don't collect information on the racial identity of individuals. Therefore, we are unable to say whether or not the use of force by police officers in Canada is uh, is systematically uh, more often. Uh, used against racialized individuals. So our decisions do have an impact on what we can say. No, that doesn't mean we're not trying to answer these questions. And there are many questions that that we would love to answer. And sometimes we can't because the data doesn't exist. Sometimes we can't because we don't have the the cooperation or buy-in of data providers yet. But every, every decision we make about what data we collect and what data we don't collect can have potential implications.
1: Looking ahead, what can we do to get a more nuanced picture of race in Canada?
3: So when we talk about race again it's it's it I like to think about it as a social construct. so uh, so in that regard, do we have the right social constructs? Are we sure that our variables or our questions where we're trying to um, pro- get a proxy for race, right, because it's not necessary. We're not asking the individual their DNA or their biological identity. We're asking them how they identify in society. And maybe those need to change over time. And so what we do at Statistics Canada is we have 10 groups right now that we have, that we, we consider to be generally covering it, but we always have to review those on a consistent basis. And we're, we're always looking at our standards, our data standards, to ensure we're, we're actually, you know, reflecting society at large. And so we update those. We take the time to speak with Canadians. We do a lot of engagements and consultations to say, do these categories represent you effectively? We test the questions if we make any changes. And um, so there's a very detailed process. But the key point here is that we want to make sure that we're consistently representing society. And so that's why uh, it's critical.
2: I think what we're starting to realize is that it is very important to have diverse groups of people working in the field of data. Because again, the types of questions that we explore, we want to explore the type of questions and the different perspectives that are offered um, really depends on having a diverse group of people being around the table, um, doing uh, you know the research, uh, the data collection, um, the content determination process being involved in that, being in decision-making positions to propose different perspectives and to fill data gaps. I think we what people are starting to realize as well in terms of the whole objectivity thing, all right? Um, That really, it's subjective, right? What we have to realize is one way to account for biases It's to acknowledge that there is this subjective element in doing research, data collection, et cetera, because we're all shaped by our experiences, our education, et cetera. And therefore, if you have the diverse group of people around the table, you'll definitely, um, I think, work towards filling different data gaps because you offer different perspectives. And, And I think that's one thing that's being acknowledged more and more.
1: What role does data have to play to stop the perpetuation of systemic racism?
3: The use of data in in tackling or addressing systemic racism is so critical. If we think about it, without understanding the phenomenon we're trying to address, it's very difficult to target policies and programs and legislation that will hopefully alleviate the issue. So if you do not understand the nature of the problem, it's quite difficult to identify the solution. And so data provides us with two things. If we did not have the census in Canada, we would not be able to um, ascertain the composition of the entire country. And we need that first and foremost, because if if we don't have that, we can't understand if there are inequities. So let me think if if you think about uh, the top CEOs in Canada, if 5% of those top CEOs are black, is that, a, is that reasonable or not? Without knowing the proportion of Canadian society that's black, you don't know. So if 5% of the Canadian society is black, that's a very reasonable representation. If 25% of the society is black and only 5% of your CEOs, now we have a discrepancy. And data is the only way to really identify those critical issues.
2: I think you know two, two things that are very important that you'll hear often is accountability and transparency. Because a lot of the experiences in systemic racism, one thing about it is it's very covert, right? It's hidden. It's not something that is, is seen, it's embedded in institutions. Um, and therefore, I think what data does is makes it visible. There's a lot of qualitative research that exists on systemic racism, and well, partly for the reason that it's very complex to kind of study identity and systemic racism. It's something that's very complex, and, and, and therefore you have a lot of uh, data that exists. And what official statistics uh, or statistics does, it, it, I think, shows you the prevalence of an issue, right? There's more evidence that is built um, and those data gaps that exist are filled. And therefore, what you do have is accountability, right? Once you have the evidence and the data, um, people can use it and you have to do something about it. People can advocate and say, here's the data to prove that this exists, or there's evidence that a systemic racism exists, its prevalence, and therefore we want something the government to act or a policy to be implemented. So I think those are two things that it does does help, right? Uh, Accountability and transparency.
1: Are there any particular endeavors or projects related to our discussion that you'd like to take the opportunity to highlight?
3: One key project that the federal government has funded in 2021 is the disaggregated data action plan in budget 2021. Statistics Canada was given um, the single largest investment in over 30 years to try and tackle some of these systemic issues around identifying racism and gender gaps in society. This is a critical project. It's going to allow us to work with, all of our partners across the country to better collect data that allows us to disaggregate and tell those critical stories about the inequities that we can uncover. Without these disaggregated data, it's quite challenging. And so this initiative is so critical. We are spending a lot of time and energy discussing this with the country, with with provinces, with territories, with our partners, with Canadians, with indigenous groups, with racialized groups, we're trying to spend the time to really understand how we should be collecting these data, how we should be disaggregating, how should we be reporting this that's really fair and that is, you know, respectful. And so this project, I think, is a cornerstone of the way in which StatsCan is shifting its entire culture. This is not a project around a single subject matter like labor or justice or health. This is a fundamental shift in the way in which Statistics Canada is approaching data, so I think it is really important to highlight that project.
1: If someone would like to learn more about disaggregated data and some of the work that StatCan is doing, where can they find that?
3: The best place is on the Statistics Canada website. We actually have a a wonderful area for disaggregated data action plan and there's a great infographic that explains what we're trying to achieve and why it's so important for society.
1: You've been listening to a A special thank you to Sarah, Filson, and Jeff for taking the time to work with us on this episode. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. There, you can also find the French version of our show called Écoutez Bien. If you liked this show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.